We are Interior Analysis, and we're here to talk about Scott Pilgrim. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Interior Analysis. I'm Evan Westman. I'm confused as hell. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world, and we are joined by Max Eubenag. What's going on? My name is Max. Yeah, so... Max is the biggest Scott Pilgrim fan that I know by a pretty decent amount. I know a lot of people who like it, but you definitely seem to be a bigger fan than anyone I've talked to. This was none of our first time seeing it, so I want us to all run through our relationship with it and like just how we came to it and any general thoughts we want to get out of the way first. I'll go. Okay, so it has a like on it. When I watched it on Netflix, it, it had a like from when I the previous time I saw it. I don't remember my context for watching it the first time. It might have been for a class. I, I don't remember. It didn't have a dislike. And I think at the time I felt obligated after finishing a movie to either leave a like or dislike. And I didn't dislike it, but I really didn't care for it. So I just left the like. Um, I remember thinking it was okay, but did not live up to the hype everyone gave it 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 was just it was out a while ago and i think just over time i grew tired of hearing people talk about it and hearing people reference it i i I don't really understand the love the movie gets again it's just really mid to me so that that's my relationship with it what did you think the second time around with it did anything change i like chris evans as an actor That's, that's about it Wallace is cool. I think I liked Wallace the first time, too, anyway. But um, I don't think I smiled at all during the course of the movie. And that's not an exaggeration. Wow. I think I smile through almost every second. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm definitely not going to be trying to um, convert you here. Like, I think there's legitimate criticisms you can have. I'll I'll let you get into yours, Max, too. But just I'll, I'll real quick say, like, I also kind of just had a little bit more of a bland reaction to it the first time, and now I'm a huge fan. Is it like the Glee Club from Community? Is that how this works? What? The Glee thing from Community? Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, you've seen uh, Community. I still have. Yeah. Um, it, I don't think so. I'll, I'll say that how I got into it was not being Gleed. Um, mm-hmm. Although, if... If if that's how this works, then maybe we maybe we can glee you into it. Hell no, no. Good luck. I'm <laughs> Jeff in that situation. You will never. No, Jeff gets converted. I know. I don't have a good example. <laughs> Just as long as you're not Britta and come in and screw everything up. Okay. Your bad singing. Voice. I don't ever. Not that I have a singing voice at all, but oh. just to continue the metaphor. I'm not gonna Britta this. Don't Britta. Yeah. Okay. So Max. What is your relationship to this? So, I don't really know if I can say I necessarily like or love this film. I just kind of have to say that I've, like, accepted it, like, entirely, like, all aspects of it. Because I was very obsessed with this film uh, in both middle school and high school. And I've seen the film... I would say high double digit amount of times like above 50 and it was just because like me and my friends would watch it all the time and then when I'd host parties there'd be like one or two new people and we'd always try to show them the film and like see their reaction and like if they laugh or not but from the movie to the comic books to the video game I appreciate Scott Pilgrim as a whole 
and I by no means like think it's a perfect piece of work. I think there's definitely criticisms to be had against it. And also the movie came out 2010, so if someone nowadays would to say the film is like cringy in certain aspects or it's like outdated because they're using flip phones, I I'm totally okay with people saying that just because it's such a film of its time but also it's like a good encapsulation of the author and just what he enjoyed growing up i would say the first time i saw this film i watched it illegally through a pirate website and later discovered it gave my family computer a virus that i had to (laughs) remove so that's how i saw this film the first time when i was like probably like 10 or something got it we got his confession that's it (laughs) on on air mom and dad crap (laughs) your your fbi guy's coming for you next oh no I don't want to say I'm a middle ground here, but this was my third time seeing it. I saw it first time, uh, middle of freshman year of college with a few friends. And like I said earlier, I thought it was like decent and I'd been looking forward to it. Like I I knew about it. I'd watched the trailers and heard it was like, you know, kind of different. I think I was a little bit distanced from it the first time though. I was a little bit like, ah, this is like kind of weird the way everything's happening and weird in a way that I wasn't expecting either. And then a few months later, I had an assignment for an editing class to make a music video. And I think I, I went through, like, I got down to like three candidates of a song and movie pairing. And I ended up doing Scott Pilgrim set to Why Don't You and I by Santana featuring Alex Band. A lot of you probably aren't thinking of what that song is. I guarantee you that if you were alive in 2002 and we're near a radio you know this song i'll put a link to the video in the show notes you know the song and then in the middle of doing that project i found out they were doing a midnight screening for it in philly at the ritz theater which sadly has closed since then and it was so much fun to watch it in a theater full of like big fans i think there were so many points where people were like saying lines along with it i know everyone said the bread makes you fat line (laughs) all together um is that is that an iconic line from the movie? It is. Yeah, because like Scott doesn't know that bread makes you fat because he's just such like an absent-minded guy. It's, I, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I didn't really think of it as iconic until that happened. I don't remember if I was saying it along with everyone. I might. I probably didn't remember it well enough, but I had like at the time probably been going through clips of it a lot. And I remember like while making that music video, I was like, how did I not love this the first time? Like, this is so good. And I just kind of like, it just kind of went and washed over me the first time. And then like since making that, it's become one of my favorites. Um, I don't know exactly where it ranks. It might be floating in the top 10, top 20, but it's quite high. And then a little after that, Max turned me onto the books, which I've now read a few times. I think I, I, like I knew the books existed and then you told me like, oh, you can just find them online. And I think I went home that day and looked them up and, and read them over like the next two days. And they're different. I, I don't want to like get too into the books, but we'll probably end up talking about them a bit. Um, but they are free online if you want to look for them. Do you guys have any general thoughts you want to start with before we get into topics? I'm just here for the ride. You're just here for the ride? Yeah. No, I got one. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I never understood the point. Yeah, they address it and make poke fun of it but what the hell is the point of scott as a 22 year old dating a 17 year old i never understood that and with it not being like fully explained it just comes off as creepy to me i would say by all means like that is definitely a criticism that has not aged well for any of the media what whether it be like the books or the movies 
and it's kind of weird because they don't explain it in the movie, but they explain it in the books. In terms um, of how they met, you yeah, mean? like they show that. Like scene. she's like Knives starts talking about it when she meets Ramona. She's like, "Oh, I was with my mom on the bus," and like, is that seriously the end of the story? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> I the love line. that line. But like in, in the books, it was something like Knives wanted or Knives' mom wanted Knives to have a boyfriend, and Scott was just on the bus, and he's like depressed and sad, and then like her mom like sets them up, and then he's just like still getting over Envy Adams and all that stuff, and then. Ramona walks into his life, and then, like, the the game begins, I would say. But by all means, it's definitely creepy and just kind of, like, sad on Scott's part. Like, it makes him a flawed character, by all means. It's heavily flawed. Yeah. She's underage. Yeah, I I know I didn't really... I didn't fully engage with that question the first time, because I remember, like, the very first line of the movie is Scott Pilgrim stating a high schooler. And my first thought was, he's not in high school? Because I had just assumed this was a high school movie. It does kind of make sense the to marketing. think it is, yeah. Yeah, cause, and, like, all the actors are in their 20s, but actors in their 20s always are playing high schoolers. So I think that kind of distanced me from it at first, but... Yeah, I think it is a fair criticism to make. Like, if that's a deal breaker for you, like, I don't think there's a problem with that at all. Like, why not make her 18, though? Like, they're 18-year-old high schoolers, are they not? Isn't she 18 in the books? I think there's a point in the books where it addresses that. I don't remember exactly when, but, like, she does turn 18 at some point in the books. But those take place over, like, a year, and this is, like... A week. (laughs) I think I did hear, though, like, there was an alternate version... Because there's the alternate ending where Scott and Knives end up together at the end. And I think they were going to make some kind of uh, indication that she is 18. But I think that still doesn't take away the problematic aspects of it. So, like, regardless of how you slice it, it's a fair criticism. And then he's, like, asking his friends not to tell anybody. And that's just weird. Wait, was he? Well, remember he asked Wallace, he was like, don't go around telling people... Then he immediately texts his sister and... Well, also, it's like, I think everybody then gangs up on him and makes fun of him because of it. Yeah, like... I don't know if that's necessarily, like, spread by Wallace, but it's definitely, like, everybody's just making fun of him for it at that point. It definitely gets called out within the movie. Is the age of consent 17 in Canada? I think, I mean, it kind of sounds like it's not. Everyone else is kind of, like, reacting to it like, oh, red flag. So I'm going to assume it's probably the same kind of stigma. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's addressed, it's problematic. I think if, like, that's a deal-breaker for you, that's totally fair. I don't want to, like, pass judgment on, like, whether it should be canceled or not. People still seem to like it in spite of that. Oh, I'm not, I'm not one for really, I don't consider myself part of cancel culture. I just find it creepy, that's all. No, I, I agree with you there, definitely. But it does seem to, like, I think it's... I think maybe just, like, the way it's been received is it's addressed enough that it feels like it's aware that that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that has had an impact. Why not just change it, though? Like, even for the movie, I... Whatever. I think that's a fair point. You could just change it. Whatever. That's all I had outside of the normal topics we have coming up. Like, I, I just wanted to know if there was an, a valid explanation for that but other than that no i mean max if you know more about it then you can say something but from what i've seen there isn't 
Yeah, I'm not really sure there's anything else I can add. I mean, the books, I definitely say handles it better than the movie, but that whole dynamic with Nyes and Ramona and Scott like is entirely different in the books compared to the film. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. So I guess we can transition into Scott as a protagonist. We've kind of already started on this question. Do we think that the movie addresses his faults sufficiently and tied in with that? Should he be evil X number eight? It's definitely kind of weird because, you know, in the film, Ramona says you're literally another evil X waiting to happen. And at that point, they had been dating for like several days, whereas in the books, it had been like eight months when they get to that point in their relationship. Mm -hmm. Um which is then it's like, oh, well, she just dates someone and then they become an evil ex and then, like, there's another one and then the next person has to fight Scott. But, like, in terms of being the protagonist, I don't... I don't know. It, it's kind of a weird point because I, I would say the whole point of the evil ex number eight is the embodiment of Nega Scott, which is mm. not addressed at all in the film, so it doesn't amount to anything. But, of course, in the books, it is a completely separate story arc that is present okay fair uh jelani what do you think i i think it does i don't know how it goes in the books so i I don't know if they last i mean also the movie like i love mary elizabeth winstead but i really did not find ramona that appealing as like a love interest because scott's fighting all these dudes and she's just like not really caring whether he survives or not and he just kind of is like along for the ride and he's like trying and she seems to not be trying at all so i feel bad for him because he's like trying so hard i want to get into ramona a bit later if we have time and like address that jelani did you want to keep going there um should he be evil x number eight i i don't i don't think so i don't know how to answer that really like would would it just continue until she just would she ever actually settle down does she just keep dating people and just keep accumulating exes and more exes keep dying beaten by her current boyfriend like i don't i think i, that, I think it's a one-time thing if that's what you're asking like it's not like this happens every time she meets a new guy but mm. like, i think it's motivated by the fact gideon made a league and then that kind of makes it into a game mm. Yeah, so uh, the question isn't coming from, like... I'm, I'm mostly asking, like, in just in terms of him as a protagonist. Like, this was going to be, like, a separate question, but, like, do we think he completes a character arc that makes him not Evil X number 8? I would say within the film, he doesn't really go through that much of a character arc, but more just, like, a story arc. I don't know. I guess his apologizing at the end is supposed to represent something, but he doesn't seem to really change much by the end because he still ends up with the girl he wants. So did he really learn anything? I would also say the evil X aspect of all the evil X's came after Ramona dumped them. Mm -hmm. So it almost seems like if Scott became an evil X, that would be like a personality we don't see because it it occurs after the fact. Mm. Maybe. It's an interesting way to look at it. I, I kind of was, like, entering this viewing with that question in mind because I know I've, like, thought about it in reading the books and then seeing the movies a couple times. Because, like, I think the first time you watch it, like, Scott's kind of coded as, like, the 
nice guy archetype who like can't catch a break like ross from friends kind of guy maybe or maybe peter parker is a closer example to like the sort of archetype he falls into and you know the fact that they're evil exes that he's fighting kind of positions him as the good guy but also like like we've been talking about a bit like his faults definitely get called out like i think kim straight up calls him evil in the first five minutes of the movie and like you're the salt of the earth oh yeah thanks kim (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah and like i i noticed at one point like i think about half of like scott's friend group straight up just call him an idiot to his face or like insult him to his face at some point in the movie like i think stills steven stills and young neil don't but i think everyone else does like pretty sure wallace does and then yeah kim julie i think is like just every single conversation they have is her just tearing into him yep and uh who else who am i missing there envy yeah well envy's like not friend group sorry yeah yeah but like it's it's a lot of people that are just like tearing into him and i i think at one point i was trying to comparing him to charlie brown because he feels similarly positioned there where like all the rest of the peanuts gang is always doing that to charlie brown but like you still feel bad for him like it's more them being jerks whereas in this case it feels more like scott really is just like i think he does kind of deserve it or at least it's like it's coming from a place where like they really do see something wrong with him Mm -hmm. and like he's just being lame i guess i would almost say that like with steven stills and young neil like they kind of feel sympathy for him but by the end of the film when he's out of the band you know scott admits that they're better off without him so i almost feel like they're kind of friends with him for the sake of sympathy hmm I think Neil is, like, the only person who we can unambiguously say is never mean to Scott, but he also doesn't do a whole lot. He also breaks bro code, though, bro. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I I think Neil's just, like, fun to have around. I think for, like, the first half, he just repeats everything that somebody else says. Yeah. Am, am I right about that? Because yeah. I know it's like, also, except like when they're when going to party. This is going to suck. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> except mean, when like... Knives asks him what he plays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Zelda. Tetris. It's kind of a big question. <laughs> I mean, also, like, if you... I don't know if, like, people would pick up on this, but I remember watching something about the film, and they point out that they kind of wanted him to be more present in the film because he's like barely present in the books. And mm-hmm. so what he does is he's like the sound mixer for Sex Bob-omb. And during uh, Threshold, when they're playing against the Katsuyanagi twins, he's just going to town on some like audio mixer in the back. So I think he has like, instead of a roadie kind of position, he has more of like an audio kind of distortion phaser kind of position in the case of the movie. But you can see him, like, not gunning for Scott's spot in the band, but, like, the entire time. Like, one of my favorite moments with him is when, I think at one point, Scott leaves with either Knives or Ramona. And then there's, like, a a little pause as, like, band practice stalls and he goes, I'm Neil. Like, he feels the need to reintroduce himself to his roommate and bandmate. Here's the question. Does he even play bass? Like, he becomes the bassist and... We see him play bass at the end. Yeah, I thought he was, like, Scott's understudy the whole time or something. Oh, yeah, he might be, like, an understudy to Scott, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Neil knows his part. (laughs) 
Yeah, going back to um, like the question of does Scott have an arc? I I, I think you mentioned it, Jelani. I if, as long as I heard you right, I agree that like his arc, I think is at least like if we want to track like what changes with him beginning to end, it is just like owning up to his faults. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say that that's like the strongest character arc. Like I think what he's dealing with in a character arc sense is like a little bit muddy. It kind of goes all over the place. Like he's unemployed. He's mistreating his girlfriend. He's just kind of lost and like not present all the time. And he's like lazy and doesn't want to fight the evil exes. So it's like, what is his problem? It's kind of hard to pinpoint. Like what is his flaw? What is like, like if, if we're going to say like there's a thematic question i don't know what that thematic question is and i don't know what his answer is to it but i do feel like there is growth at the end when he's apologizing to ramona and knives and kim and and to the band and all that like i think there is an arc happening there that i think is somewhat redeeming but it's it's very messy as character arcs go i don't find that it's a problem but i do think like even the moment like when he gets his self-respect sword i feel like it's a cool moment in itself but i don't feel like that is the flaw that he's overcoming in this and the sword still breaks anyway the sword does still break anyway (laughs) so maybe he doesn't have quite enough well no was it the power of love is uh less powerful than the power of Mm self-respect i mean also like i feel scott as a protagonist is just kind of supposed to be lame to an Mm -hmm. extent because then I think people start to, like, self-insert in the same way. This is probably a bad analogy, but, like, that Link doesn't say anything in The Legend of Zelda because you just kind of are along for the ride. And then, like, we really had to talk about, like, Evan and I, we really had to talk about, like, what Scott's um, personality was because it's not apparent just from watching the film. Like, you kind of have to think about it for a bit. Mm. And I, I guess overall we would say he's flawed. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference between what is his personality and what is his flaw. Like, those can be two separate things. But, I mean, they're certainly, they, they certainly tend to be tied into each other. And I think it is, like, you're bringing up, like, this sort of idea that he's an everyman character. Does that yeah, I would say? say just, like, like, you know, being absent-minded isn't necessarily something desirable, but something that people could relate to, maybe. Mm. See, I kind of feel like... I don't want to say that he's not an everyman, because he certainly does have elements of it, but I feel like he reads less like an everyman protagonist than a lot of others do. Like, they give him enough of a personality that, like... You know, the, the fact that you laugh at him the entire time, I think definitely makes him different than most everyman protagonists. Like, a lot of times the protagonist is the character with the least personality. And I think you could make a case that that's true for Scott, but he definitely has more than... Like, he's not just there to do the plot. Like, he does quirky things throughout. So I think that at least makes him less of, like, an audience insert. I wonder who would would insert themselves in his position, though, because, like... He doesn't seem like an everyman to me. He just seems like an awkward, weird guy that 
make stupid decisions. Like, I wonder what type of person IRL would like, like relate to Scott as as a character. I don't like. I didn't care for him as a protagonist like at all, and maybe that's my problem with this movie. I, I can't really root for him. I just kind of see him as weak, even when he's kicking ass. He's just a weird, awkward, quirky guy, and I, I, I didn't really care for that i almost think it's just like the concept of the film like yes the property is scott pilgrim but like just going into a fight and having to fight seven evil ex-boyfriends like yeah it's to the death and everything but like it kind of would be fun i mean they made a video game off of it and it's just like i don't know i think people it's like the adventure and by all means i think it could be detached from the character if like, you know, people really don't like the character that much. Mm-hmm. I would rather spend that time with all the evil exes because they were way more interesting characters. I mean, dude, hanging out with Brandon Routh would be I was going to say him, yeah. uh, Lucas, Lucas Lee. Chris Evans, yeah. Jason Schwartzman, especially. Yeah. I was thinking about what if Ramona was the protagonist for the movie? Because I feel like she could be a more interesting protagonist. And m- maybe it's also because, like, I've moved a lot, and she is in the position of moving somewhere. She's moving to Toronto to start over. She's kind of trying to leave behind all of, like, all her baggage, all these evil exes, namely Gideon, at the specific time. And then all of a sudden, all of her worst aspects are shown in this new town to this new guy that she's dating. Like, that's a really rough experience, and I feel like it doesn't give enough credit to the fact that she's having to like try to start somewhere new and she has all of like the worst of her past being put on full display for everyone like that i think is a more compelling setup and like i don't dislike the idea of scott having to fight the evil exes and like prove that he's not these other guys that have hurt her in the past but i think it would also i would prefer a version where they have to fight the evil exes together like and if you don't mind i want to like get into the theme of baggage here too unless we want to say more on scott no that's fine i was gonna contribute to your points actually a little bit well none of this would have happened without gideon and the whole point of her moving is because of gideon it's not Mm -hmm. because she got a job somewhere or like she needed to go somewhere for a certain reason it's because she breaks up with gideon and i think it's almost like traumatic to her to an extent especially because it's like the seventh boyfriend that didn't work out for Mm -hmm. her and then i guess that leads into what you're going to say about baggage i was kind of like talking about like the past coming back as more of like that would that just sets her up as a more interesting protagonist i think than scott does but i do really like like as a whole i think the movie does a like make a pretty decent theme out of like i kind of want to say it as generally as like what does it mean to have baggage like i think there's the movie's kind of thematically confused it's a little bit all over the place but that is one where i feel like it's consistent like if it has a message i think the message is that like trying to amend for your mistakes is worth doing like i was saying before like when scott apologizes to ramona and kim and knives that's what's setting him apart from the other evil exes because they don't seem like remorseful of any harm that they've caused to ramona or anyone else like like they don't really have a reason to be upset at scott but they're down to just kick his ass like Mm -hmm. 
that's and that's maybe just like a plot convenience but even so like they are not remorseful and then the fact that he is i think is like if there's a thematic question that is an answer to it i think i I think it also like the way that it's framed is that like because you could have done a version of this where it's more about past trauma where it's just like these are people who have hurt them but it's kind of bringing up more people that they have hurt like scott specifically asked ramona you've always been the one to dump someone you've never been the dumpy so like that is very specifically addressed scott doesn't seem like he and envy have some like history that's not really gone into in the movie that is there in the book but at least like textually it doesn't feel like it feels more like he's having to make up for what he's done rather than come to terms to what's happened to him so i like the way that all of that is set up Uh, if you guys want to add anything to that feel free i just think like i think there there's a thematic like honestly to other parts of the movie where it's just like the creators both edgar wright and brian lee o'malley are bringing this like honesty to it that allows you to engage with like the like all of the characters at different times like and just the way that they're dealing with like early adult life i think i think that makes it like have some kind of emotional core to it but it doesn't necessarily become strong thematically for a lot of it but i do think this one like if they're focusing on anything it is this theme of like how do you deal with the people you've hurt like how do you make amends for that i guess so i i like that aspect of it i'm trying to think um trying to think of the film and not the books but i feel like in the context of the movie almost invisibly just having to think about it um ramona has to deal with the fact that she's always dumped people and then now there's like this crazy guy that ends up forming a league that she doesn't know until matthew patel shows up Mm -hmm. um but i feel like after she learns that she kind of wants to stay with scott almost i feel like because she just wants to stop having to like run away from people like she wants Mm -hmm. to have someone to depend on and i think like him fighting the evil exes like proving himself I, I'm trying not to think about what they do in the books, but in the context of the movie, I guess that's, like, the most reasonable thing I can think of. Yeah, I, I don't think they do the greatest job with, like, establishing Scott and Ramona as a couple. Like, I never yeah. feel a lot of chemistry with them, so, like... And I think you can view it through that lens of, like, what makes Scott different. I kind of like to think of it more through the lens of, I guess, how is Ramona trying to change herself? with this fresh start what is she trying to do differently i really like the inclusion of the line i've dabbled in being a bitch but i was hoping to leave that behind me here like i feel like that just speaks so much to what she's dealing with of like yes i'm trying to make like this is me trying to make up for it i'm trying to be better but the past is still catching up with her and i think that's a really compelling way to deal with this theme i think it's more physical than mental because it's people showing up right right so it's it it, but like that's kind of like the fun of this kind of a movie it's taking something that is more of an internal struggle and turning it into a fun external battle let's have a boss rush man yeah let's have like turn turn dealing with your guilt into fighting video game bosses 
it's like a fun twist on it. And I would be willing to hear people poke holes in it. Like, I don't think it's a perfect metaphor, but I think it is going for something and that does count for a lot. I think it's coming from an emotionally honest place. So like, if you as an individual viewer don't think it does a good job, I don't want to disagree with that. But I do appreciate that it's trying for something. And I think, personally, I think it that is where it succeeds the most. I think the metaphor falls off a little bit with the fact that, like, getting over baggage means Scott beating the crap out of seven guys. That doesn't fit Six great. Six guys and one girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry. Like, I think the metaphor falls off a little bit there. But it's still a landscape that is able to explore this theme. She doesn't seem like the person she was when she's describing what she did with the exes, like, currently mm-hmm. in the movie. So I wonder if her arc was pretty close to complete when we meet her already. I mean, also, like, what is it? Evil exes, well, Matthew Patel was middle school. Mm-hmm. Lucas Lee, Todd Ingram was uh, high school. And then Roxy and the twins were college, I guess. Yeah. And then she graduates from college and then she's in New York City. And then that's when everything with Gideon takes place. So I almost wonder, like, if she went to a college in New York and then that's how that started, or if she just went to New York City because it's New York City. Mm. Yeah, we don't get a whole lot of clarity on that, I guess. It just says, like, she's American. That can mean mean a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Although, to be fair, we kind of, like, blanket Canada as, like, all of Canada is this monolith, which probably isn't true. larger than the U.S., yeah, it's significantly less populated, but yeah. it's still, like, it's still a big-ass country. Like, yeah. it's not as if everyone... And, you know, no country's a monolith, so... I thought they were all snowmen. I didn't see one snowman in the movie. <laughs> um, Fun in Toronto? <laughs> but if we if we want to get into anything else with themes, like... I mean, we, we could just talk about how the movie is, like, basically a video game because, mm-hmm. you know, that's the whole point of it. And that, like... It definitely has fun with the fights and really goes in. I, I mean, one thing you pointed out was, like, how long the shots were. Because when I think Edgar Wright, I don't think, like, long fight scenes. And then Evan was pointing out the really good choreography. And I was just like, wait, yeah. I never, like, realized that they haven't been cutting this whole time. Yeah, I forgot, just to, because I, I wanted to mention this. I forgot how good the action is in this. Like, I feel like I need to rewatch. It's the so Cornetto. well choreographed. I, I need to rewatch like Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and see like mm-hmm. how choreographed those scenes are compared to Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, as I recall, Hot Fuzz is a lot of quick cuts. Like I don't yeah, love the I action in it, but I think it's also parodying that era of action that was happening at the time because yeah. it was, that was 2007 and 2010. I'd say is still in that quick cut era, but damn, are these action scenes good for 2010? Like, it feels more like John Wick than a 2010s movie. Like, this was, the first, this was the first time I watched this movie after having seen the John Wick movies, and I was like, wow, like, this feels like a post-John Wick action movie. I just feel like, in terms of action films, we've been washed over with this era of, like, let's cut everything and then mm-hmm. cut the camera before they can fake a punch, which is annoying because pre... When would you say that started? Like, Hunger Games? Like, 2000... No, I'd say that started, like early 2000s like equilibrium is a movie that's coming oh. to mind that kind of does that so i feel like before that they would do like the whole stunt doubles 
faking the punch mm-hmm. and then the camera angle makes it look real and then they have the sound effect but then it, then the popularity of just cutting constantly mm-hmm. became a thing and i'm really glad that scott pilgrim like at least goes back to that yeah and who knows how cg it is but it it's fun i was trying really hard to pay attention to every frame this this watch I mean, that, around and everything was so goddamn fast paced like i felt like i was missing things per frame mm-hmm. um because i was I trying mean, also, so hard to look at everything so i wasn't even really paying attention to the action like that also just like another film i love uh, spider-man into the spider-verse i feel like you could pause the movie at any point and just have a really good desktop background <laughs> but it, yeah. it's also playing with the um framing of the fact that it's based off a comic book and it's not doing the thing where it puts the edges of the comic frame on the screen it just is very animated mm-hmm. and i don't mean like cg i mean like it is very active yeah so this is a good transition into the style because the style i feel like is kind of why maybe this is so polarized in some cases like because I think if the style works for you, then like everything else works for you and you want to see, like you want to read into it more. But if it doesn't, then that alienates you from everything else. But regardless of your reaction to it, I feel like Edgar Wright made exactly the movie he wanted to make. Like everything here feels intentional. It feels exactly right for what he's going for. Like all the, there's, there's a great video. I, I can't remember if it's, I think there's two. One's by Nerdwriter and one is by Every Frame of Painting that talk about the transitions from, like, it talks mm-hmm. about that, like, whip pan from, I think it's I think it's when Scott is on the phone with Stacy and then it whips into the bell, like, the, the onomatopoeia bring of the school bell for Knives High School. He kind of breaks down, like, how intentional you have to be. Like, you can't just do that in editing. He had to know that that was the transition he wanted before doing all three shots. And, like, that just carries through the entire thing in a way that is just so cool. And I feel like... I think Spider-Verse is probably the best comparison to it that where it feels that intentional in, like, the visual style. But aside from Spider-Verse, I can't think of any other movie that is this, like, just cohesive in that style and like so intentional i mean also spider-verse is animated so they really play around with like Mm -hmm. what they can show on the frame but i mean in that case like edgar wright just having all the people in frame and having everything exactly where he wanted it to be in real life is commendable honestly i noticed this doing the music video because i also happen to have done a music video for spider-verse and i feel like with both of those what's what's the song you used it's a David Cook song that you've never heard okay. of, probably. Um, I don't know who David Cook is. So I'll, yes. I'll link to both. I'll link to both. I worked pretty hard on both Let's of them. Let's get more links in the chat. <laughs> get more links in the chat. Let's mention more things. Um, yeah. Well, no, it, it's going to be in the show notes, so like everyone can access it who's <laughs> listening. I did Scott Pilgrim first and then Spider-Verse a few months later. And I, I noticed in going through both of them, like I think those were very easy movies to make a music video for because every shot is so dynamic and I could like time it to the music. Like there was so much movement in every frame that I was like, okay, yeah, this is like the perfect shot for this. Like it's it's gonna time perfectly. Like, and I, I don't, like I'm, I'm saying that to like the movie's credit that like, it's just they're both just so engaging and 
I think I like only really appreciated when I had to sit with the footage for a really long time. In terms of just the experience of watching it, it's just like there's so much momentum, but it even like allows it to slow down. Like the shot that's coming to mind is when Scott is banging his head against the lamppost and it ha like it's just like a slow pan. So the style's still there even when it's slow, but it's like it's somehow just elevating every the tone of each moment the emotions of the characters and just how much fun the movie is having like it just elevates everything and i'm so here for it i'm also thinking about how like comparing this to other edgar wright's other work like mm -hmm. you know baby driver because isn't the whole film set to four four time and the songs they use are in four four time or something like that but you know, there is a lot of times in Scott Pilgrim where the movie is matched up to the music. And talking about the um, momentum that you were saying, I also feel like just watching this film, it doesn't feel like a film that I feel like drags its feet at any moment. And like from the beginning, they say seven evil ex-boyfriends. And so we go one, two, three, mm -hmm. four. We just keep going. And I don't, after seeing it several times, I just feel like it's a sequence of events. Like there, it doesn't go from between four and five slash six and it's like dragging on it's like come on let's get some next yeah one. It, it just well it helps going. that they combine five and six also so yeah. it's really six fights yeah but it doesn't i never felt like oh now we're at five great and just yeah. like bored because it just it honestly is surprising how fast it crams everything into its runtime mm -hmm. jelani i, I want to ask you this too and max uh, i don't know how familiar you are with three act structure but feel free to jump in on this as well like do you feel like this follows a three act structure because i've never tried to break it down but i feel like i would have a somewhat difficult time of fitting it into some of the like traditional beats yeah i guess i think it does i could it's at least it feels less obvious maybe I, n well i could clearly point out the breakup thing because that's very on the nose that that happens uh right before act three actually with the fight I yeah i think i can say where the cut i never really thought about in three x structure but because like i only talked to you about three x structure so right i basically learned everything from you but i feel like in terms of the film they do a lot of time explaining the backstory to everything and the film just feels like a like a fun kind of post-college dudes having fun music kind of thing mm -hmm. and then matthew patel like crashes in so i feel like they spend a lot of time explaining everything from book one and that's the first act and then after evil x one all the way up until the breakup would be act two yeah and then both fights with gideon the first time and the second time are act three mm -hmm. yeah I'll take back what I said earlier. Maybe it's not that it doesn't fall into three-act structure, but I feel less aware of it, maybe. It's almost like not important because it. it's just going through... But it's still setting up the fact that, like, something changes after Evil X 5 slash 6. Like, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. I'm also remembering, I think there was a deleted scene, or I, it was an alternate scene. I think when Scott goes back, like, after he, he does his one-up, and he like goes back to his apartment with wallace and he like talks through the entire like joseph campbell hero's journey thing he's like i i started off with like a refusal of the call and then i found allies and enemies and it goes through the whole thing 
And I think it's good that they didn't do that because I don't think enough people are familiar with like the beats of that. I can't. I'm not even familiar enough to like list it all off right now. But I remember seeing that. So I think maybe they were like trying to mess with it a little bit or like acknowledge something. But I think it is an interesting way to look at it structurally because you're not thinking like, oh, this is the part where that happens. You're thinking, oh, he's still got three to go that he has to fight. Uh, what else do we want to say about the style? Again, just the second time around, I was trying to pay attention to everything I probably missed the first time around in each shot. Well, this one, for example, this one was really obvious. I probably caught it the first time, but when Knives asked Scott if he wanted to continue and he was thinking about their relationship and then in the background it was the whatever DDR knockoff that was like do you want to yeah do you want to continue and it was counting down and then it just ended stuff like that yeah. like but I, I was looking at more minor things in the background like there was something on the fridge at some point I, I didn't really get in the minute in, in the moment but I, I'm sure it meant something I'm trying to fish for it is it the everything sucks I think so I don't remember Scott had his back to the fridge and it was like magnets on the fridge or something I just like that this film has things that you can notice on several viewings. Like, there's mm-hmm. effort put into making the film deep in small details. Like, I bet some people wouldn't notice the sinking of the continue when Scott's supposed to break up with knives. Um, yeah, I'm embarrassed to say that I never picked up on that until oh, really? Jelani just mentioned it right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's oh. totally a thing. I'm trying to think what else there was. I mean, also, like, whenever someone does something awkward or someone like runs away they always do like a car like riding by as a sound effect in the background oh, i didn't notice going that really quickly i i noticed th- this time just how many freaking sound cues there are it's like constant and i love it i'm, I'm so here for it i haven't found any symbolism in it i don't want to say that there's not because there almost definitely is um i mean x yeah the x's x. yeah i think part of the style of it too is the casting or performances like this just felt to me like everyone was on the same page tonally like every actor understood exactly why they needed to deliver the way they do and i think that just makes it so much more cohesive like i don't know if there's more to say with that but like i think if you didn't have good actors who were willing to like commit so hard to each of these characters then you would lose a lot yeah everybody's like the fact that weird so nobody's weird (laughs) Mm -hmm. well but the fact that like envy adams makes or brie larson as envy adams makes just every line just drip with drama that really adds or the way that young neil is like totally out of it every time he talks I'm, i'm like trying to think of bad character or bad cast characters and honestly i can't really think of like a weak link in this film Mm -hmm. because like everybody's doing what they're supposed to do and it all feels coherent to this world i don't think there's anyone that's poorly cast either like everyone and they all feel like they like nobody feels like they're wrong in this movie even like bigger people who we know from other roles like i don't feel like chris evans is out of place here at all and i mean i haven't seen brandon routh in anything but i never saw superman returns place I haven't. Where you get shot in the eye with the Do bullet and to... it bounces off. It's crazy. I've seen that shot. <laughs> Is this something we're going to have to fix that I haven't seen? No. 
No, not at all. No, okay. No, no, no. I mean, also, like, it's weird that they include Sandra and Monique, but I'm also glad that they don't really mm. include them because they're kind of not that present even in the books. In the books, yeah. But it's weird that they cast them and they're, name, they're named in the credits as, like, major characters. Mm-hmm. Who? Yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's the two girls that Scott talks to at the beginning of the film. Yeah, he goes, hey, lady dudes, have, have yeah. you seen this? Uh... They're at every party that Scott goes to in the books, and they keep appearing, and, like, basically what they do is they react to what he did at the last big debacle, and they're just mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, you're still going through that <laughs> shit. All right, see ya. And then they just leave, and then you see him at the next party, and it's like, I'm glad they cast them, but it's almost, like, good that they didn't keep coming back. It's a fun there's Easter the, egg. Yeah. There's the guy, Komu, the, I love the, him. the IT guy from The Office. He knows everyone. Wait, he's in The Office? I haven't yeah, seen him in The IT Office. Guy. He was an IT guy, but he was really upset that nobody remembered him. <laughs> ever. I mean, Every Komu knows everybody, so... Yeah. You know everyone, right? I, I love his like throwaway lines in it at a couple points. You know, the, the first album's not as good as the first album. It, it's good that they bring him back at the end and they put him right by the door so you can yeah. see him, but he's not like the core focus. Yeah, but I, like it, all those little details and like if let, let's get into the minor characters if we're okay with that. I think we can go back to style later. Yeah, sure. Because um, there's more I want to say about it, but I also wanted to talk about the minor characters. Like it's just such a fun cast of peripheral people i feel like that's and i even like remembered most of them by name after watching it once which is rare that that happens especially with like this big of a cast like i remembered basically every evil x by name i think i remembered most of scott's friends by name i don't know did you guys have the same thing or is that just me i did not remember steven's name i remember kim young neil I think it's because they, like, call each other by their names a lot. Mm. Is that? I mean, yeah, plus, like I, I just saw the movie, so I'm I'm kind of inclined to remember a lot of people's names. Also, like, you know, Kim is Kim, but, like, they make it a point to say that Steven Stills is Steven Stills, not mm-hmm. Steven. But they don't really play it up that much in the film. Yeah. They I, just I, call him Steven, and it's like, that's not what his name is i think it gets called out in the book i think ramona says like do you always call him steven stills who steven stills uh yeah i guess <laughs> yeah but like here, here's a question i wanted to get into how do you make your characters flawed but still likable because i think like you could make a claim that like a lot of these characters are like i, I think we've mentioned it like they're kind of mean at a lot of points but I have so much fun watching all of them. Like, Julie and Kim are mean in every scene, but they're like, Kim is one of my favorite characters. She's great. And, like, even the evil exes are, like, just so much fun to watch. Like they're Probably my favorite people to watch. <laughs> Aside yeah. from Wallace. Wallace is really fun. Oh, yeah, Wallace, Wallace is, is great. Awesome. He's just, like, Scott. It's a weird way to say, but he's basically Scott's sensei mm. and just, like, knows everything right for Scott. He also has all the best lines, which is saying something. He does. Great lines. I mean, I forget his first name, but, you know, Macaulay Culkin's bro. Oh, yeah. Kieran Culkin. Yeah, Kieran Culkin. I'm just like, I I get the connection, and he looks like Wallace. Oh, my God. Wait, that's who it is. Yeah, Yeah. it's his bro. Yeah. That was kind of a mind-blowing moment when I found that out, too. That makes so much sense. His face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. It's just like, it, it... 
it's in the back of my head, and I think Macaulay Culkin, but I'm like, no, he's Wallace. That's Wallace. He's doing Wallace things. I always forget that. I, I, I love that Kieran Culkin is blowing up now. Like, he's, like, one of the most loved characters on Succession right now. I remember watching this, and I was like, how has this guy not been in everything after this? He's so good. Holy shit! Sorry. What? Yo, Roxy is the voice of Katara. Yeah, yes. dude, Evan told me that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I brought that up when we did Avatar. I don't know if you remember Jelani. Wait, we no. Did, we so, did bring that up. So, Jelani, um, d- did you know that they animated a section from the books on Adult Swim? And to play one of the characters that doesn't appear in the film, they had Roxy voice that character. No. Mae Whitman. But it's just, yeah, it's like... If she's Katara, that means she has voice actress experience, so that, like, makes sense to me now. What the hell? <laughs> it's weird, though, because she's doing an accent, so you don't hear the Katara. She's she supposed to be, like, southern? I think so. You know, it's a twangy southern accent. I guess. But she's also an ninja. She What's also it? dies by orgasm. <laughs> I, you know, I, someone pointed that out to me in, like, the times I watched it in high school, and I was just like, I don't want to admit yes, but you're not wrong. <laughs> I don't think you can really deny it. it exactly. So. Yeah, like when she's dead and her voice echoes throughout the building. It says moans. Yeah. It says moans in subtitles. <laughs> Wait, did you watch it with subtitles? I have yeah. not watched it with subtitles. It said moans echo. <laughs> I mean, also she just like explodes into cash on the ground, whereas like other people just like disintegrate. I feel like it's the same across everyone. I mean, Gideon rains coins from the ceiling. Yeah, but that's after he disintegrates, because he was kicked and then the coins fly in that direction. Matthews just fall down, but, like, Roxy, like... So does Todd, doesn't he? Uh, I don't feel like hers no, is no, different than Todd's, anyone else. Todd's, like, they fall backwards because he headbutts him. Yeah, I don't feel like hers is different than anyone else's. I don't know. I mean, no, also, she dies by orgasm, so it's pretty different. I think her death was, like, one of the lamest... I feel like it could be read as problematic, but I am not qualified to say whether it is. So I'm gonna not say whether it is. <laughs> I just find it strange. It's definitely weird, yeah. I think. Uh, it's a weird choice, and not from the books either, I think. So a question I had, and I think Max answered this for me when we watched it, but I want to address it again. Do the evil exes die? You told me not to answer you, and I've been, like, waiting to tell you. So, yeah, what... Do they die when he defeats them? So, this wasn't mentioned in the books or the game, but, like, years later, the creator, Brian Lee O'Malley, like, someone asked what happens to them, and he said after they disintegrate into coins, they respawn where they were in the United States when Gideon contacted them. Oh. And their mind is like neutralized like they're not evil anymore they're just or they're not angry at ramona or evil they're just kind of like all right with life and like they learn their lesson and then he went further on to say like even though none of them have beef and they know exactly what happened there's no reason for them to go to toronto because the yeah. fare from the u.s to toronto is like really high but basically they just respawn after dying why bring them back in any form well, they just appear back where they were in the U.S. prior to the league. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, why not just let why, them why stay dead? Why don't they dead? just die? Yeah. I, I think mean, it's kind of symbolic, because, like, Gideon ruins everything. I yeah. also, like I, like, I know this is, like, kind of 
a weird way to look at it since it's such a heightened movie. But I also like would have a problem if Scott is literally murdering. He's not all committing these people. Yeah. Although, like, maybe he low key is. Either way, I mean, also Gideon's like a millionaire, so like a whole business would like go under if Gideon just like disappeared. Yeah. Well, Sex Bob's not getting their deal now. No, they got their deal. <laughs> well, they didn't get paid though. But Still getting paid, right? They got paid though. <laughs> Never gonna In get quarters. to G man. Yeah, imagine putting those in a coin star Oof. with a nine percent tax. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, let's not. Yeah. <laughs> one one thing that I do really like about all the evil exes though is like how many of them are just kind of this like grab bag of like it feels like they threw a bunch of like qualities or personality types into a hat and we're just like okay one of these is gonna be a bro skater movie star cool. This guy is going to be a vegan telekinetic bass player. This one's going to be a, a goth lesbian half ninja. And it's like, okay, w- what I does think, that look like? I think she's bisexual, but... Oh, she's no, bi-furious. she's bi-furious. Yeah, she's bi-furious. bifurious. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, just the idea, like, I think that's part of what makes them so memorable is that, like, those are all combinations of things that you would just never think to put together. So it's like, okay, what... What is a vegan telekinetic bass player? What what kind it's of guy because is because they're not copying and pasting characters from other media mm-hmm. and just calling it their own. They actually feel like they're their own person. Yeah. Even like I don't know what we would categorize Matthew Patel as, but he's something unique. He's a pirate. A singer. <laughs> he but he's I, not a singer I, I though, is like he? Bollywood he's not a Bollywood actor, but like no, they he's, use it tonally. What is he? He just comes he so he has a demon army of hipster girls no, that shoot fireballs. He, he just has magic powers and he's a pirate. Like Evan, I don't understand why you're confused. If that if that's what your get up is, I respect you because you're grinding as a pirate, got magic powers of fireballs. Like, dude, that's the dream. Just Yeah, and he's and he's got his like unique sort of like moves that he does. When he's talking. the least complicated I, I, character in this movie. I will say, like, I watched this film so many times, and just the more I watched it, the more I realized that, like, for every scene or every shot that Matthew Patel is in, he always has dust or glitter on him, and he, like, brushes mm, it off as yeah. if he, like, is exuding magic, and I'm just like, this is so weird to notice because he's constantly dusting, like, glitter off of himself. I had noticed, like, the dusting. There's that shot where he, like, blows off both shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, I guess, that, again, helps making them memorable is, like, turning up the volume on all of them. Something that I've been taught as, like, a writing technique is giving more peripheral characters stronger personalities than the more main ones, so that way they're more memorable. And I feel like... I, I, I agree with that. I think it's a good idea, but I also like the idea of making a protagonist have a memorable personality, like... Jack Sparrow is by far the most memorable character from the Pirates movies. Everyone else is pretty bland. But then in a lot of cases, it's like there's this bland protagonist and then everyone around them is nuts or more interesting. What about Davy Jones? He's got, a, he's got an octopus on Davy Jones is dope, yes. He's not the only interesting character in it, but like... Barbosa? Barbosa's dope. But like all the other protagonists. I just like his hat, man. It's a pretty cool hat. It's big. It's very big. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Do we do we have anything we we want to like extrapolate on with that? Just like turning up the volume on people's personalities, like what that can do. I just wish my man Komiao got more screen time because I love him. Fair. 
Although I feel like he has the least flair out of the minor characters, at least for what he's shown in the movie. He feels like the, no- the most normal guy out of anyone. Yeah, but I-, I drink a beer and talk to him. Oh, yeah. I feel like he could have get really into some really niche things that I would get very lost with. But, like... Yeah, their first albums. Not as good as their first album. Yeah. (laughs) Last question with this. Favorite characters or which one you would want to be in this world? I mean, I just kind of grew up with Scott Pilgrim. And, like, when I was showing it to my friends, everybody's like, Oh, Max, you're this character. Or, Oh, Max, you're Matthew Patel. And I'm just like, why? (laughs) I do not see Matthew Patel. I don't see it either. But, like, I always thought Comey I was cool. So that's... Hmm kind of like my favorite character because he just knows everybody and then in the books he gets a ring and they don't ever explain it and the oh book, yeah the ring has like a skull in it and it says scott's name and that's never explained and i'm like that's the, the coolest thing. thing yeah yeah i, um, I feel you as comey out but you know like kim pine i'd say is a great character and like mm-hmm. allison pill would go on to just go nuts in hollywood I just finished recently watching the newsroom where she is like 180 degrees different from Kim Pine. So then I got a little bit of whiplash coming Has back. Has she ever taken a role Scott that Pilgrim. was like similar to Kim after Scott Pilgrim? I don't know. I think I've only seen her in the newsroom and then she has a small role in Vice, the uh, movie about Dick Cheney and she's from a couple years ago. And she's in The Good Place, which a lot oh. of people like. Wait, what? No. Is, I, I don't know. I yeah, I think it. you're thinking of Kristen Bell. They have this. I was looking at her face. They have very similar faces. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, my mind did a slip. Okay. Yeah, I can see you getting them confused though. They do look pretty similar. Uh, Jelani, who would you want to be, or like, who's your favorite? I would want to be if I was inserted. My consciousness was inserted into this world. Probably Steven because he's pretty normal. Hmm. Um, okay. Sorry, Steven Stills. And. <laughs> For the fun of it, uh, Lucas. He would be pretty fun to do. Just having, like, the Chris Evans jerk vibe. You always have to have at least one eyebrow raised. <laughs> I mean, also, like, his whole Grand point... Brew. He was, like, doing things for the sake of, like, girls noticing him. I think half mm-hmm. the time. Like, I don't even think he wanted to fight Scott. I think he was just doing it because people were watching. Mm-hmm. Well, in the, he and Scott don't actually fight. He's just kind of like... No, they, yeah, we don't they fight to... a little bit, but in the book, like, he asks Scott, if you pay me, I will leave and say you killed me. Like, he <laughs> says that in the books, because he just wants to act. <laughs> and, like, that's the only evil likes to do that. I think that's really funny. And he was like, you're a total Scylla. He's like, that's what my career is. Mm. I like Chris Evans' interpretation a lot better. Yeah, like, I, I like also that he's, like, he did this and then a year later was Captain America and they're so different, like, but he's, I think he's better as Lucas Lee than Captain All America, right. honestly. I'm a big fan. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's so much fun. Like him? He's pretty good, right? Sometimes I let him do the wides, but I feel like it blazed him a winnie. I guess, for my answer, I feel like Wallace's goals, like, I would want to be Wallace, but I feel like Steven or Kim is a little closer to reality. Mm-hmm. They're both pretty fun in different ways. I guess, yeah, Steven's maybe the most normal out of any of them, but he still has, like, a fun vibe to him. Although, yeah. I would say I would say movie Steven over book Steven, because book Steven is kind of a jerk, I feel mm. like. At least more so. It's almost like they're two different characters. Yeah. But it's weird, because, like, in the books, he's like he doesn't really care about... Scott's journey but in the movies like 
you know, when Matthew Rattel sings, he's like, this guy's good. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's actively engaging in this, like, thing that's going on. And he's, like, not being a jerk. Well, he still is being a jerk, Scott. But, like, he at least but is paying attention. So. I, I love him freaking out before yeah. the concert when Crash and the boys are going, how are we supposed to fall? Apparently he does that before, like, every concert. Mm-hmm. And then they just play and then they're done. She has to go. Yeah. She knows we suck. <laughs> I like the choices that were made for him. I also haven't seen his actor in anything else. He's, like, one of the only actors from the Scott Pilgrim movie to not, like, go anywhere, which is really surprising. Mm-hmm. Or, like, go wildly famously. But also, Michael Sarah was, like, probably yeah. the most well-known going into it. Yeah, he was pretty big at the time. He was coming off, like, super bad Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. I think he was in Arrested Development and stuff like that. I was also thinking about how, just reading about the production, like... In terms of stunts and playing the guitar, like, Michael Sarah already knew how to do all of that, and the guy who played Steven Stills did not know how to play guitar prior to the movie at all. Well, he's not supposed to be, like, amazing at it, so that kind of works. I know, but it's just funny because, like, Michael Sarah didn't need, like, a like a playing double, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, like, he just picked up bass, and then he played in the movie. It's just kind of funny. Why am I seeing Bill Hader in the cast? Because oh, he's the voice. He's the narrator. Like the one, does Scott earn self-respect one? Yes. Yeah, and and the one I think he's at the beginning, and then the scene when Scott's like when it's it's giving the backstory of Scott and Envy. Yeah, I don't really think about it anymore. Scott thinks about it all the time, yeah, <laughs> or whatever. He's also the narrator. Too. He's been cutting his own hair ever since. <laughs> he does all of the narration for Ninja Ninja Revolution, including the continue. Mm. Uh, okay. I was surprised when I saw that too. Because he doesn't sound like he normally does. He's doing, like, the... Epic. Yeah. This Get is ready. a reminder to watch Barry. Mm. I, I should watch Barry, too. I saw the first season, then I never got around to the second one. That is all. Have you seen it, the whole thing? Yeah. I've been waiting for season three. Like, I've been waiting for season three of Atlanta. I've heard two is good. Can you confirm? Yes. Okay. I can, yes. I really should get on that. Because I liked season one. Just the premise is enough to watch both seasons alone. A hitman becoming an actor. Yeah, and also Bill Hader is just one of my favorite actors, well, that, too, so. too. Apparently he's like just a quality dude. I can see yeah. that. He seems like a pretty good guy. Getting back into the style, uh, I guess I just have one more question with this. Because, like, Jelani, you were saying you like didn't smile throughout any of this. I feel like... I'm just surprised at that because you're a community fan. And I feel like this is tickling, like, the same spot for me that community does. Like, the style of comedy and how it's, like, playing with film language feels very similar. You might want to get an x-ray because that is not happening for me. Definitely doesn't remind me of community. I, I, I find community funny. You know that. Yes, which is why I'm a little surprised that the humor of this doesn't work for you. Yeah. It's not exactly the same, but I feel like there's similarities to it. I also just feel like, what is it? Someone was pointing out that, like, if you introduce Scott Pilgrim to, like, teenagers of today, I remember there was this huge wave on Twitter where people were calling Scott Pilgrim cringe. Like, not Mm. canceling it, but just saying it's awkward. And I was just like, is that how people think of it now? Because I've just gone my whole life thinking, like, oh, it's great. And then not really thinking, like, if, if the humor is bad. I literally was just in a class a couple hours ago where I heard people talking about it. And but, then, like, how of old course, were they? They're, they're college age. age. They're, yeah, they're so... 20. 
and they were saying and i i do believe the word cringe came up as like oh if you're into that like it's it's good some of the people one of the guys said it was his favorite and another one hadn't seen it at all and was like you know give it a shot kind of deal but jelani did you not smile at all during the um sex bomb versus katianagi twins scene when they're playing the music and just going ham at it i don't feel like that's one of the more fun scenes i think it's no sound wise probably like one of the best i just remember roaring and dragons <laughs> there's nothing in this movie that you laughed at at all the second time around no actually first either i think i might have smiled at the again the lucas scene because that scene is probably my favorite if i had to choose but first time around i don't remember I will say, like, some of the things that I didn't pick up and a lot of my friends picked up when I showed it to them in high school was, like, I don't know if this is Edgar Wright's thing, but just, like, how in the film they'll do things that don't make sense to humans, and then when you think about it for a second, it just kind of makes you laugh in a way. How, like, Scott's like, oh, Stacy, sister, I need to talk to you. And she's like, oh, I'm about to leave. He's like, cool, I'm coming in. Like... If he's at the coffee place, why would he go to the telephone booth right outside? Why wouldn't he just go straight in and talk oh, to I've her? Oh, I've never thought of that. Just, like, weird things that just don't make sense, and then you think about it, and it's like, oh, wait, that is kind of weird, but also... It doesn't seem like issues, it just seems, like, kind of quirky. Comedy is always a matter of taste, I guess. So, like, to say that you, like, should think this movie's funny, no. I, I would never say that. But I think it is doing some, like, good comedic techniques. Like, at many, many points, characters are overreacting to little things or underreacting to, like, major things, which is, like, I've heard that's a good technique to use. I feel like that's being employed throughout. So, at the very least, like, I think it knows what it's doing comedically. Like, there's no way that this stuff, like, isn't. Oh, I think Vegan Police was funny first time around for me. Yeah. The what is? The vegan, vegan police. police. Oh, that, that's is just that so out made, of left field. It's great. Yeah, it made no fucking Milk and uh, eggs, bitch. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> that made no sense to me. I think that's why. <laughs> well, also, this was like way before, I guess, veganism really became, like, I would yeah. say mainstream popular. I don't know. It's such a weird thing to think about, like, veganism before and after a lot of people started doing it. She said veganism makes you better than everyone. <laughs> I feel like I, I can't help thinking of it, too. Anytime somebody talks about being vegan, I'm like, okay, listen. You know how you only use 20% of your brain? That's because the other 80 is filled with curds and whey. <laughs> Did you teach that at Vegan Academy? But that's the weird thing. Like, Kim makes the joke about Vegan Academy, and then after that, Ramona talks about how he was sent to Vegan Academy. Mm -hmm. Like, that's an actual place. Right, yeah, and they go into that. A yeah, it's in bit. Canada. Yeah, it's in Canada. <laughs> At the very least, like, I think it's doing a lot well comedically. It's being surprising. It's breaking reality all the time, but somehow it still manages to do things that are unexpected at so many points. It's just having fun with it. Yeah. What is it? It's like when, um,. Stacy calls Scott and it's like, you're thinking of juggling two chicks? And he's like, who told you? Not Wallace, even. duh. He's not even conscious. And then, like, the yeah. phone call ends and he has his phone like, in his hand while he's unconscious. Yeah. I think that's another... One of the videos I was mentioning earlier, I think, is called How to Do Visual Comedy. And it goes through every Edgar Wright movie and, like, breaks down a lot of what he does. But again, like, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. 
Yeah, humor can be crazy different with a lot of different people. Yeah, which is why it's like comedies don't tend to get a ton of acclaim because it's hard to be to have broad appeal without just being lowest common denominator humor. Mm. Like it's it's hard to be respectable, I guess, as an effective comedy. I mean, I will say like just as a collector when I was going from video games to Blu-rays, like I would buy the films that I personally enjoyed, but I also noticed what cost more and cost less and I will say bargain bin films romantic comedies from the early 2000s there are millions of discs and mm-hmm. no one wants them <laughs> as I recall there's <laughs> a lot of them too there's so many <laughs> and they've got like the same four actresses yeah. in all of them it's Rachel like McAdams is one Rachel McAdams, Jennifer Aniston I'm trying to think like how do I know Rachel McAdams? And then I think, like, was she in the MCU? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, she was. Yeah. Dr. Every Strange actor is... was at this point. Every. <laughs> yeah, basically everyone. I haven't seen almost any of them, but I, I feel like they all just kind of blend together for me. Who's the one who's in all? Catherine Heigl. She's the one who's, like, like she's named as, like, one of the, like, staple rom She the one that was in Knocked Up? I think. Anne Hathaway? Oh, and Hathaway, I guess you could say, is one yeah. of them. Would you say Angelina Jolie, or would that be exclusively be with, like, Brad Pitt? To my knowledge, she's not in that many, or is at least not typecast in rom-coms. Got it. Like, that's playing against Yeah, it's Catherine Heigl for her. in uh, Knocked Up. Yeah, but she's in, like, five other major comedies from, like, those the five years surrounding that, I want to say. Did we have any more we wanted to stay on style? Were you going to talk about a video game? Yeah, I'm probably going to mostly leave this to Max because you wanted to bring up the video game influences in this. All I, I'll say for it is that I like how it does the 8-bit animation and like the one-ups and like people getting XP points at like different moments, that kind of thing. I think I, it adds to the fun of it. I don't really know how to go about this without just saying like random fun facts. But uh, Jelani, I guess, you know, because you, you play uh, fighting games, right? A lot of other games too but yeah because it's inspired i guess a little bit by like street fighter but they specifically call out like zelda and mario mostly Mm -hmm. i mean one thing that i didn't know until recently is the versus that appears on every evil x fight is always in the same location in the Mm -hmm. same frame every time it's done and it's in blue except for roxy's which is pink oh Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that, but apparently that's a callback to like a fighting game where like the verses would change depending on the character you're fighting. But I hmm. didn't know that. I can't believe I didn't notice that. I used all of those verses shots in the music video. I mean, I, I told you while we watched it that Ramona's hair changes from pink to blue to green, which is a reference to the three goddesses from The Legend of Zelda. Oh, wow. I think like the thing that stands out to me most about video game influences is like you have that sequence where Scott leaves the band and then he goes and then there's like the pee bar and it's just like that's just having fun with it. Yeah. He's just, he's just peeing. And then he leaves and then he's in like the hallway dream sequence and the thing that I didn't realize but I I learned when we watched it that last time is um, when he walks out of the bathroom and into the high school it's like a standard aspect ratio shot with like the black bars at the top and the bottom mm-hmm. and then when he's in the high school it zooms out to make you feel very like spaced out and then it's playing the great fairies fountain theme from zelda and then that so it's like going from a cutscene to gameplay 
Yeah, and then the image is zooming in, and then it keeps getting bigger and bigger, and then it doesn't bring the black bars back, and instead goes to a full screen aspect ratio, and it keeps expanding, and then it reaches full size when he answers the door, Ramona's there. So it's like kind of making mm. the scene more dreamlike, because it's zooming it out, then zooming it in until she gets to the door. Doesn't it do something with the aspect ratio in the scenes where he's in the like dream desert scape? Like it makes he's those having bars the dream, really huge. And then when he dies. Yeah, it makes the bars really huge. So you're, what you're seeing is like one third of the screen. But I think, don't don't they expand it? Like when Ramona skates by, I feel like they're either expanding or contracting. And I can't remember which. I think they expand but... when he like realizes he has another life. And then he's like going back. Mm. Which also just that aspect of like, oh no, you died at the final boss. Time to do everything again, but better <laughs> and faster because you know better now. Yeah. Yeah, I think they also, like, is his save point, it's, like, not back to the very beginning. It's, it's a, it's earlier. It's, like, is it's it when, when he gets the one-up? It's when Wallace says, finish him, which, haha, Mortal Kombat, but, you know, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't really reference save points in Scott Pilgrim. I think it's it just It does in chapters. the book at one point, I think, right? I forget Oh, where... yeah, no, there's a reference in the books to save points where, like, he's about to talk to Envy Adams, and he's, like, afraid, and he sees oh, a save Oh, yeah, point, that's when it happens. And he's just like, should I save? And everybody's like, yeah, you should save. And, and he's then like, he, he I doesn't, don't, I don't I know, think, should I right? save? And then they're like, okay, she's ready for you. And he's like, I didn't save! And mm. then they go. <laughs> Isn't the main appeal of the comic the whole video game thing? There are way more video game references in the comics, yeah. I mean, also, just I feel like the comics do a like a lot of things better. I actually have a friend that hates this film, and the reason he hates it is because he loves the books. And he says, "I don't know." The books are such a better media that he sees no value to anything in the movie. And I'm just like, uh, you have Edgar Wright, you have the actors. Are you really gonna blow all of that off because you like the books so mm-hmm. much? Like, I feel them. They're different things that you can enjoy for different reasons. It's the equivalent of the manga was better. Oh, dude, don't mm-hmm. don't talk to me if you haven't read the manga. <laughs> yeah, or as Komio says, yeah, the movie's not as good as the comic book. You know? Does he say that? Yeah, the second time Scott. Oh, uh, great! Of comes course he in. would say that, yeah. or they make that a line in the film. Also, isn't there a new game on Switch? Or yes, which well, we actually, just played through. <laughs> what is it? That's actually a really funny story. Um, I was telling Evan. The long story short is that when this movie came out, um, Ubisoft made a game for xbox 360 and playstation 3 and mm. b- because universal is a movie company and they don't care about contracts running out the licenses for the game ran out and it was only sold digitally on xbox live and playstation store or whatever mm. and so you couldn't download it again so people who bought it could still play it but it like disappeared from the internet mm-hmm. and then that was three years after the movie came out and then on the 10th anniversary, Edgar Wright was like, I'll sign any contract that exists. And then they brought it back. And now it's on a Switch, PC, Xbox, and PlayStation. Ooh. It's pretty fun. It's like a yeah. side-scrolling beat-em-up. I've seen it. it. As much less of a gamer than either of you, I, I enjoyed it. I, it's just I mean, fun. Max helped us get the cheat codes for it. so I didn't, yeah, It like... looked hard as hell. No, So what is it? Because it's based off a Super Nintendo NES style game, there's a lot of grind you have to do. And we skipped the grind. Yeah, just level up, get stats, and I'm like, I'm gonna shave five hours of boredom off, and we're just gonna enjoy the game. And then we did that, and then we played all the levels. Which, it actually gives you a seventh level, because the sixth one is Negascott. 
sounds like my Pokemon playthrough. I just played through Plat, like, for the first time ever, and I got bored halfway through, so I just gave myself, like, rare candies and a whole bunch <laughs> of other stuff. Yeah. TNs I mean, and... it, it, that's, like, also a thing about games, which, you know, I don't want to talk about game design here, but just, like, if you make your game long and boring, like, you're just extending it. Like, I, I want to see things. Like, show me stuff. And mm-hmm. I want to enjoy it. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like Scott Pilgrim overall is just... There's no reason not to enjoy it. You're just mashing buttons, beating up dudes on the street of Toronto. Yeah. So if you're not into that, then it's like beating it's a, up people. At, on the at that point, you're like you're it's, like it's not also into more fun with things. friends. Yeah. Because it's just kind of boring by yourself. Mm-hmm. Isn't that most Switch games? Mario Smash, Odyssey, Mario Kart, so Mario, Mario Party, anything with Mario. Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild. Okay. Well, there's those two. But other than that, <laughs> I don't know. I could I could make you a grocery list. Jackbox. Well, Jackbox is everything, dude. You can play Jackbox on, like, a toaster. <laughs> J- Jackbox is the one where it's, like, you use your phone, right? Yeah, so okay. whatever you're I've running I've played that a couple times. As long as it has a screen, it can run, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. I think someone should try to make Jackbox that works for a toaster, and then it's connected to, like, a TV. That's Jackbox is the new version of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get it on a TI-84. Uh, you, you could do it. That a toaster might have to give the brave little toaster a run for its money as goat of toasters, but <laughs> I guess in terms of video games, uh, Ninja Ninja Revolution that wasn't in the books, and I think it ties Scott. And Wait, Nod. that's the actual name of the game? Yeah, no, actually. I thought you were joking. No, that's what it's Dance Dance Revolution, but it's ninjas. Oh no. Yeah, so that's not in the the books at all, and that's entirely new to the movie, and I feel like. Where they completely skip over everything Knives goes over in the books. I feel like that's an okay replacement. Which is weird because they had to make it up for the context mm-hmm. of the film. And then it plays into the uh, movie later with the continue and all that. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Scott and Knives' final fight with Gideon. Oh yeah, they uh, they bring the like same the same things back from it. Like that we're using the, sound the game with like, the combos. Just beating up Gideon. Bad, yeah. bad. I mean also it's good because like uh... he's the final boss and they're just beating him up with mm-hmm. all sorts of fists and feet just on that final fight this is just kind of a random note but i wish it were scott and ramona fighting gideon at the end there i feel like that's a real simple change they could have made to make the ending feel a lot more powerful it gives ramona more agency and it also gives you something to ship them with i guess like it at least right. is like because she even says like after that she's like wow you guys make a good team and then tries to leave she, i don't see why she they knows didn't. how to fight she has a hammer right and she just gets like punched once and is down for the count i would much prefer like it, i feel like it just makes a cleaner ending where it's just like yeah okay we're gonna put aside our history and like you know it's an action movie let's have both of them fight i feel like it just it, it unnecessarily makes things a little bit like muddier and more complicated to have it be Scott and Knives fighting side by side. Yeah, see, that's what I meant by like, I don't like the movie Ramona. Because, like, th- I feel like as much as it's weird, the film does a better job at putting Scott and Knives together, which is weird because mm-hmm. then there's an alternate ending in the, the Blu ray where, like, he ends up with Knives and Ramona just leaves. And. Like, as a concept, I really didn't understand the ending of Scott Pilgrim movies or books because it's the same in both where they go Mm -hmm. into the door. And 
I didn't realize this, but the whole point of them going into the door is that it takes them to the future, and it's not like with jetpacks and stuff. Mm -hmm. It literally means like there's no evil exes, there's no fate, there's no fighting. It's just uncertainty. And Mm -hmm. like, can you love someone enough to just be with them into uncertain circumstances? That's deep. I think that that's good, but like, thanks Wikipedia, I didn't figure that out myself. Yeah, well, I just I, just I, saw I think... a door with the star on it, and I was like, okay. Because mm-hmm. they also don't explain the subspace highway in the movie at all. Yeah, oh, it's like a whole... briefly mentioned, I think. Yeah, it's basically it's what Ramona uses to be an Amazon delivery girl, which that also. Wait, her. she wasn't <laughs> kidding about that either. No, she works for Amazon in, in Canada. What's the site for Amazon? No, like no, she she said the highway thing. I mean, yeah, she's yeah. like go three miles and fifteen seconds. Yeah, so so what it is is it's the space in between space, and it goes through people's minds, and she finds random doors around the world, and they just kind of teleport you around the entire world, and she uses it to deliver the packages like super quickly. There's a lot of big buys with this series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, that's the thing. That's why I think it's so it can be so alienating. Like if you don't buy into all, like there's so much to buy into. I kind of so want to like explain Jelani the whole the glow if you know what that is i i know what you're talking about yeah um, it makes Gideon Megan's... a much more evil villain yeah back to what you you were saying about the ending max like i do also like that idea that going through the door into uncertainty however you put it i like that as an ending a lot and i again i think it's a place where that moment is maybe more powerful for ramona than scott where it's like He's now seen all of her bad sides and is still accepting her despite that. That feels really powerful. And I do still wish they had just, you know, had them fight at the end and have it be less of it. But I do like that moment for her where she's about to walk away and be like, all right, I'm going to stop letting people get hurt. And he says, I'll I'll go with you. I mean, also, like what I just said, I had to look up after i watched the film the first time but like they they reference it when stacy is hanging out with scott at the swings and Mm -hmm. she's like did you see a future with this person like why are you fighting like are you going to actually like you know marry her i guess is like the goal but or at least like try for something yeah i guess i think where it falls off in in the movie is that I have a hard time shipping them, and I feel like the movie doesn't do the greatest job of it. And I feel like it's not so much of a deal breaker, but I'm not invested. Like, I don't want to say that, like, they're definitely not going to be able to make it work, but I also, like, don't feel a lot of chemistry between the two of them. So I think that's an area where it could have done better in like making that ending more powerful if i actually believed that like there's a chance this could work absolutely yeah i don't know it's just like i feel like they play too much into ramona being aloof Mm -hmm. in this because she doesn't want to explain anything and then she reluctantly goes into the past of every evil ex and she's just kind of like more mad at scott that she had to explain it than worried for him that he's going to die I think they disservice her in the movie. Not not super hard, because I, I think she's a really interestingly constructed character. I think there's a lot at the core there that is interesting, and some of it's explored. So I don't want to say they did a terrible job with her, but I do think she is maybe the character that has the most room for improvement. 
in yeah, this. I'd say so. And I think part of it is that like aloofness. Because I don't know that like textually we're meant to read it that way, but the fact that it comes off like that does have an effect. I, I also think about like as much as I don't want to, like, could someone else play Ramona? And like mm. I almost think like Mary Elizabeth Winstead would have been fine if they just wrote it differently. Yeah. I, I don't think that someone would have done a better job. I don't want to say she's like playing her right exactly, but I I don't want to knock what she does performance wise here at all. I yeah. do wonder if there's a different vibe they could have gone for. Maybe more akin to how she is in the books. I mean, like, I'm just immediately thinking about, like, all the promo images of her. Like, you know, how she's on the cover of the fifth book when yeah. it's not colored. But, like, there are images of her, like, holding up her middle finger and sticking her tongue out. And I'm like, that's Ramona to me, not whatever happens in the movie. And I'm like, mm-hmm. she's like she has fun, and in the movie she's just kind of upset most of the time. Yeah, I feel like they do take away a lot of her personality from the book, because there is a lot more of it. I also think, like... Is there a potential for a Scott Pilgrim sequel? And I'm just like, at this point, that would be digging up a corpse. That's just not... It It, it ended so well if you... I don't know, movie, book, whatever. I just, I'd be here for a TV series on it. If they if they went through it again and they redid it, not happens mm-hmm. after the end. I wouldn't mind if they did the content of the six books as season one, and then they just keep going. Because I would love to just spend more time with this ensemble. Like, I'm good with continuing you know let's do another year with them i mean also it's just like is this film outdated if you did what you're saying would you set it in 2021 Mm. but like i think no i feel like it's almost better that they're shopping for you cds at you cd stores and going thrifting at goodwill like it it kind of shows like a little bit of age and i think that's nice because it's just kind of a product of its time yeah at this point like both the movie and the books came out like just before the like social media explosion yeah and there's not i don't think there's any reference to social media in either the books or the movies i don't know if stacy talks about tweeting but she informs all of her friends about everything yeah because like they all have cell phones like it's yeah. it's at a, it's at a point where like so you think she's like group texting or something yeah well the, i mean it's a very different era of texting too it's back oh, when you yeah, had the, the nine buttons um, yeah, how did Knives type in OMFG, Neil, you're so hot? And, that quickly. And that quickly. I couldn't do that. <laughs> well, it's 2010, so you maybe have slider phones. I don't know. Like, yeah, I it, think some people would But have yeah, it would, take, it would take a long time. I don't mind the shorthand with it, if not. <laughs> but like, 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 just making it quick. I don't need to see. Yeah. I had one of those phones I've texted on it. It can be quite tedious. Um, Smash Bros. Brawl, man. <laughs> I had a slider phone, so I had a little keyboard when I was growing up. Mm. Yeah, I had one of the last of the flip phones. We only have one more topic, which is music. Ooh. I don't have a ton to justify. The music here just slaps. Like, I want an entire Sex Bob-omb album. I have most of the soundtrack on my rotation. Black Sheep is one of my favorite songs of all time, and this past week I've been getting into Metric. They are way better than I ever would have thought. Dressed to Suppress is an excellent song. I mean, I just think the album for the movie as a whole mm-hmm. is great because it's just like a bunch of mix of great stuff. But like about Sex bob you know, the songs were written by Beck for mm. the movie and then performed by Steven Stills. But the weird thing is that in the album, they only had like so many songs from the film. 
but two songs are used in the movie and aren't referenced or they're not listed in the album and the funny thing is that the guy who made the soundtrack had a radio station in canada and he played Hmm. them over the air and that's how people knew that they were like fully mixed and we only just now got them for the 10th anniversary the brie larson version of black sheep just got released like in the past month i think i don't know why they didn't just release that it's weird yeah they had the metric version and the metric version is great. Like, yeah, but, but I, you want they, they both. play the Brie Larson version in the movie, mm-hmm. so it's like that's kind of strange. I also just found I, I thought that they didn't have this, but I am so sad, so very very sad. <laughs> is on the album. It's eight seconds long, it's and the it best is perfect. Eight second long song. In the yes. <laughs> um, also, like, just Edgar Wright being a musical genius, like mm-hmm. playing "Under My Thumb" by the Rolling Stones when you don't even know that Ramona has a mind control device. Oh yeah, I, picked I up didn't on even that. notice the symbolism of that. Yeah, dude, she, he's that. just playing under my thumb because he's a rich dude with limo, and he also is mind controlling her. Like just little tonal stuff like that, I think is very nicely done throughout the film. But then I think about like uh, the the teenage dream song that plays after Scott dumps knives. Mm-hmm. I did, I never really liked that song from the album, but I don't know if it works well within the film. It's it's such a short segment of that song. Mm-hmm. But I think all the songs, like whether, because I've listened to the whole album a couple times, and not I don't love all the full length songs, but I feel like they're all incorporated just right. Like even so, some things only play for like five seconds. Yeah, I mean, like, also Scott Pilgrim's named after a song about the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, I thought the song was named after him. No. Okay, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I just I mean, assumed I, that it was. I'm also probably making someone mad by saying the smashing pumpkins because it might be smashing pumpkins mm, but that's yeah. why his shirt says sp right that's a, i've heard that that's a smashing pumpkin shirt, that, that's right? a spa- yeah that was like a shirt that was only sold at a concert or something mm-hmm. so they like made it for the film right and he has no i think the song's by plum tree isn't it because he wears a sorry, plum, plum tree because he wears the plum tree t-shirt yeah sorry and what am i thinking that's from smashing pumpkins in the album you guys yeah. could be completely throwing two random words together, and I believe it's a rock band. I have <laughs> no idea what the hell you're talking about. I mean, all the rock bands in Scott Pilgrim are named after video games, we forgot to mention, but whatever. You can go into it if yeah, you dude, want. Yeah, dude, you want to play Clash at Demonhead for the NES? Is it any good? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't played it. I think I'd rather listen to a Clash at Demonhead album. True. I, I wouldn't mind if that... Like, I want the, the fake bands in this to be real. Dude, I want a Clash a crash of the Boys album. Dude, they're so much better live. <laughs> yeah. see them live. <laughs> as, they're, as they're at the live concert. <laughs> yeah. I, I missed that line the first couple of times. That's awesome. We Are Sex but Bomb slaps so hard. I, that is one of the best songs ever so written. So, what I was going to tell you is, like, this song was very informative to me because it, it, it made me want to pursue learning music and a mm-hmm. lot of the album i learned from guitar lessons i would just bring in the album and we pick a different song because it's such a wide array we are sex bob i went from a guitar player to a bass player we are sex bob uses four notes the entire song on bass like you just do the same four notes over and over it doesn't vary at all <laughs> i mean it works it's, it's, it's an excellent crazy. song like if you played it on rock band it would just be like the same four lines over and over it's kind of funny well, now I have a rock band song I can play on Expert, I guess. Yeah, if they import it. <laughs> I mean, they're importing a lot of things, I think. Yeah, I think my favorite Sex Bomb song is Threshold, mm. probably. This is the beginning of the song. Yeah. We're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff. <laughs> We're here to make money and sell out and stuff. Yeah, that was uh, 
No, that's like a sped up version of. Oh Where yeah, but the song that plays when he enters is called "No Fun," and that wasn't on the album. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that was part of it. Yeah, that's part of their six-song lineup that we only got four songs from. It's one of the best soundtracks out there, I think. Though, I, I don't know if I want to put it up against Baby Driver. I mean, I think I need to listen comparable. to the Baby Driver album because mm-hmm. I remember the music from it, but I wonder what they chose. Because also, like, just thinking about it, I had the itunes of the album when i was a mm-hmm. kid and they had a second album which was the score and that's everything composed for yeah. the movie which doesn't include the beck stuff for some reason and that was just like small jingles that played in the background or like orchestral stuff which wasn't nearly as interesting but they did put the the sped up version of we are sex with bomb when uh, that on plays the it, yeah and then the second time around it's actually a sped up version of that so they include that too but like mm-hmm. that's like 40 songs and like half of them aren't good i think i've listened to the score as well and i i haven't revisited it because a lot of it's like just back like I, I i love scores on the whole but this is one where it's like kind of distracting it, like, it's like they made an album to be the front cover of the music yeah and that's what most people go to they don't go to the score yeah well assuming it's a movie like this that has an actual soundtrack yeah like and not just original score but i also like that they they have a good mix of like there's needle drops like there's songs that they just that already existed that they put in and then they made a lot of originals and they're all like i I think i like the originals better on the whole i think they're they contribute to the just album really well mm-hmm. it adds to the tone i think i don't know enough about music to really talk about it the music definitely adds to the overall vibe and tone and i'd like to see more movies do it have a good soundtrack in i the wonder way if does. Um, last night in soho is going to have a soundtrack to it because mm. the trailer had one song but like are they going to play music from the time i bet it will also, just Edgar Wright horror. Like, I'm not a big horror guy, but I'm, I'm all for it. I'm excited for Last Night in Soho. Yeah. I'd rather see another Edgar Wright comedy, but I'll see anything by him. I think No, he... you get a documentary in a horror film. Oh, right. He did that uh, Sparks Brothers this year. I saw I that. Have, that was pretty good. I haven't seen it yet. He's one of the only... Well, now I can't say it, but prior to the Sparks Brothers coming out, he, I could say that he's one of the only directors that I've seen all of their work, including Spaced, his first TV show. I think if I had any director that I would want to direct, like, a biopic about me, I'd like it to be Edgar Wright. I think he could have fun and make things seem less boring than they are. Yeah, he had so. fun with uh, Sparks. Hmm. Or the Sparks Brothers. I should find some time to watch that. Is that HBO Max or is that theater only? I think it's theaters only. Oh dang. Do we have any final thoughts on this? Nope. I'm Stay not well versed in rock music, so y'all got that. This film's great in my opinion, but I don't know. It's just a fun time. Hard agree. Also, this was a fun time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, for being here. So uh, if we're done, we can get to the boilerplate. Our next episode is going to be Get Out. You can check out our YouTube channel. We have video essays and podcasts, like the old podcast episodes. Leave us comments there, and we'll talk about them if it makes sense to talk about them. We have merchandise with the logo. There's links to our products in the show notes. You can find them on Zazzle. You can also check out our Patreon. $1 a month you can get our bonus episodes. We have a new one on the Kingsman movies. One of them is shorter, the like theatrical cut. 
without all of our tangents and then the director's cut that has all of our tangents i'd recommend the one with the tangents i do as well they're very off topic sometimes but they definitely add a lot also we want to get the kevin hart cut of kingsman so let's make that happen (laughs) let's start let's get that trending um our logo is by kelsey hendry you can follow the show on twitter at intanalysis18 you can follow me on twitter at davos watson Max, do you want to link to handles at all? Uh, I mean, the one thing I could recommend is my Twitter, which is at Ultimax. That's U-L-T-I-M-A-X-E-D. But I mainly just shitpost and put memes and say funny things every now and then. Okay. We can link to your Twitter there. That'll be in the show notes. Follow me on Twitter at Jelani T. Kelly. Uh, Instagram at BasePhoenixTwitch. I stopped streaming for a bit, and now I'm back streaming uh, at JBasePhoenix. That's it. Okay. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace.